Good afternoon. We're going to start this afternoon out great. It's good to be back. I was out of the country last week, and um, I had so many things I wanted to talk about last week as we take a look at uh, the, the life of Joseph, really a lot of the life of Joseph. And before I jump into all the content today, man, you got to look at the life of Joseph and just see the incredible um, plans of Christ that um, he has for our life. Cream truly does rise to the top when you're people of character. God really does elevate you to places beyond what you could imagine. And, uh, and we, we're going to see that as we go through the Bible. You're going to see that again and again and again, that there truly is a plan that God's working out. I think the best statement uh, that is made, we're going to read in a, in a little bit of what Joseph said, but let's go to uh, Genesis 48, and um, and then you just ask questions as we go along. There's a lot. We're, I mean, literally what we covered from Genesis 48 to Exodus 18 is roughly about almost 400 years, uh, 300, maybe 375, somewhere in that. We're gonna. That's how much is being covered over this period of time, and and. And Genesis 48, we see uh, Jacob uh, has Joseph bring his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to him. And, and you can kind of tell that um, uh, these, it, Jacob probably hasn't seen his sons yet. In fact, he brings them. He sees his son. It's an interesting relationship between Joseph and Jacob and his brothers. I mean, Joseph has been away from them for some time. And, and he's probably working in, um, in the capital of where Pharaoh is, working alongside him. And Jacob and his sons are all in the Goshen area, which would have been off to the, out of the way, because it says, even in the text that we're reading, that Pharaoh kind of despised the shepherds, and so they kind of put them off. And so their relationship was interesting. And when you look at it, you can kind of see that Jacob... Um, when he sees his sons, it's almost as though he sees them for the first time and he has them come and sit on his lap. And he makes a couple of comments in 48. And one of them is, is he took uh, Manasseh and, and Ephraim uh, along with him. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, he rallied in strength and sat up. And then, um, and then Jacob takes them, puts them on his lap, and he makes this declaration of the sons of Joseph. It's why we don't see Joseph as one of the tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob essentially says, uh, Joseph, these two sons of yours are now mine. Essentially saying, Joseph, I'm giving you a double portion of the inheritance of the blessing. I'm going to elevate you among your brothers, and I'm going to give Ephraim and Manasseh a double blessing. Now, we know later... They, they, you know, the Messiah doesn't come through them. Um, later, um, they, they aren't, um, one tribe even gets swallowed up in, because they stay uh, east of the Jordan River and they kind of get swallowed up in the tribes uh, that are out there. But what's interesting is um, not only does he give Joseph a double portion, probably because Joseph, what he went through and what he experienced, but he, he also... He blesses the younger more than an older. And I don't know if you noticed this or if you've been noticing this as we've re read in Genesis. Uh, Abraham was actually a, a younger brother 
Isaac was a younger brother to Ishmael. Jacob was the younger brother to Esau. Joseph would have been a younger brother, not the youngest, but a younger brother to all of the other brothers, Benjamin being younger. And then Ephraim gets a blessing and he's the younger. There's something going on there. I'm not sure what was happening there, but it, you notice that in that culture, the eldest would usually get the blessing, but in this case, it was always, it, it was never the eldest. It was always passed to someone that wasn't the eldest in the story. So it's an interesting observation. We can look into it, see if we can find out what that means or what's going on there. Um, but it's an in interesting chapter because, um, uh, what we also know is that Jacob basically tells them, you're not to stay in Egypt. Egypt is not the land where the Hebrews are supposed to be. You really need to go back. And if you went through the, the series more than a book, um, I had talked about how I think the, the, the Israelites probably went through slavery because they refused to leave the land because they were integrated in it. They were prospering in it. They had a great life there and they, and, and they didn't leave. And God probably in, 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 you know, over that many years probably tried to get them to leave and they wouldn't leave. And, and because they wouldn't be obedient, they experienced slavery and, um, in that, in that period of time and became slaves because God continued to prosper them. There's another observation that was interesting there in Genesis 48. If you notice, Rachel was buried in Bethlehem, uh, uh, I don't have verse night. Uh, I don't have the verse there. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem, but Leah was buried with Jacob. Like Jacob li buried Leah in the tomb of his of his ancestors, and then Jacob said, "I want you to take me back there to be buried with my ancestors in the Promised Land. I don't want to be buried in Egypt. This isn't our land. That's where I want to be buried. Is with our fathers. Isn't it interesting though that Rachel was the favored wife?" for much of the text, but Leah was buried in the place of honor. And some, some would say, well, Rachel was actually buried in the birthplace of the Messiah. So there's a, maybe there was honor in that. But Leah was actually buried with Jacob um, during this time. And it's interesting, too, because Judah uh, ends up being the son for whom the promise comes through um, in this. So... Uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool jacob reminds them you need to leave this place and you need to go and and go back to the promised land if, if you have any questions about what you read in 48 it's it's pretty cool verse there's a lot there again we i wish we could cover everything we could spend one hour in each of these chapters pretty much do you see there in the the comments jen says what does it mean in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, when it says that the cries of the Israelites went up to God? And I can get that pulled up here. Yeah. You can look it up. And uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we'll take a look at that. Uh, verse 23, I think it is in chapter 2. Yep. Uh, Israelites cried. I actually have written it out. The Israelites had cried out to the Lord. Um you know, because of the slavery that was happening, you know, when we enter into the Exodus, it really identifies the fact that now the Israelites move from being the favored people who were given this land in Goshen, which was incredible. They're still living in Goshen. They're still prospering in Goshen. But 
now um now in verse 23 the egypt the new pharaoh sees how well the the hebrews are prospering because they're a blessed people god has blessed them and they begin to oppress the the hebrews they call them the hebrews and they start literally turn them they turn them into slaves and give them hard labor and and uh, you know you can see many building projects if you go to Egypt you can see many building projects around Egypt many of those projects many of those cities that were built in Egypt were built by the Hebrew uh, Hebrew people and and Egypt the Egyptian rulers would oppress the Israelites um, to do the work and and so they begin to cry out to god saying you know you know here are the promises of our father we're doing this this is horrible and god begins to hear um uh the what they were going through i think god really began to uh, see how his people and their mentality was turned into a slave mentality and I think when when God saw that his people who were called to be a royal priesthood uh, and to be the light of a world and they're now their mentality is shifting from that of a, a prosperity mentality to a poverty mentality. There is a cry that's going up even from the actions that they're going through. So God hears the cry of his people and he remembers the covenant that he made with Abraham and this is the power of covenant. You may not value that covenant as much in our in our world. You know, we, we are in covenant until we don't want to be, and then we find ways to try to get out of it. God does not try to get out of covenant. He remembers Abraham and his covenant he made to Abraham. And if you remember that covenant back there, if you remember when he said he made that covenant with Abraham, if you recall, remembers the fire pot and the brand, it wasn't really Abraham that was making covenant. It was God the Father, God the Son making the covenant for Abraham because Abraham would never be able to live up. And God remembers the covenant that he made, and it's that covenant that causes him to go and bring uh, Moses b uh, into the world. And we see that in Exodus chapter 2 that he begins to provide a deliverer. And as they're crying out to God for a deliverer, it takes some time for that to happen. It doesn't immediately happen, but there's a long period of time for which that takes place. And remember, you can say, well, why wouldn't God have done that sooner? Well, the reality is, is they should have listened and obeyed God uh, when he was calling them to leave Egypt sooner. It's uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. When you make, when you're obedient to what God's word is, you're going to walk in prosperity. There will be issues and problems, but you will prosper through it when we're obedient to his word. And and go back to Exodus chapter one, and we're skipping over forty nine, where he blesses the sons of of Jacob and all of that, which is pretty amazing. Um, it's also go, go. Let's go back. Thank you, Jen, for your question. Keep asking questions. But I want to take us back to Genesis 48 and I want to go down to Judah in verse eight of, of 49. I'm sorry. Verse chapter 49 of verse eight. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you and your hand will be 
on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. And look at this. You are a lion's cub, old Judah, and return from your prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse. We know that the Messiah comes through the tribe of Judah, and this is the first reference to the name we give to Christ, the Lion of Judah. And so this is literally where that comes from. It's the Lion of Judah. It begins right here. And what you're going to find in Genesis and Exodus and what we're discovering, and you're going to see this a lot in Exodus, is God starts revealing his names in the chapters we just read, where in the early, in Genesis, where he revealed really for the first time, Jehovah Jireh, you're going to start to see a number of names he's revealed in, in all of the texts that we, that we read. And, and, and also in 49, you start to see him identifying the sons now as tribes for the first time. So we now are moving, as we have left Genesis, we're moving from uh, Israel, or Jacob, the family that Abraham and his and his entourage is turns into a family. And you see that in Genesis, it's a family. When we move to Exodus, they really move to tribes. And you're going to start to see uh, Jacob at the end of Genesis here, he, he identifies his sons now as tribes and not as as necessarily his sons because it's very soon his sons will be dying and and they become they start becoming this community of people the egyptians referred to them as as hebrews and not even as a nation and they wouldn't do that of course and then and in chapter 50 we start to see the death of of um uh a joseph but there's something i want to identify here in in um, verse 19 this is one of those phrases or verses that are important in our life to really understand. And I think you could spend a lot of time in this. In, in, chap, in chapter 50 of Genesis, verse 15, notice Jacob dies and now his brother, his sons are worried. They're afraid that Joseph is going to try to bring revenge on, on them for what they had done to him and, and that it was only Jacob that was protecting them from Joseph. And, and, this is when we get a revelation of something that I think all of us need to understand, and it will impact, impact how we treat people. Verse 19 of 50, it says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now look at this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then... Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is an opportunity for Joseph to get his revenge, for him to get them back. And Joseph, the Joseph that got thrown into slavery when they sold them into slavery and they benefited from the money they had gotten. Uh, the, the brothers that had lied to their father about Joseph to make him think he was dead. So he truly was forgotten. He, he's put in all of it. That Joseph now in his older age, after Jacob has died, he can now and has the power and ability to get his revenge on his brothers, doesn't do it because he realizes that even though their attitude was to harm him, even though they were intentionally trying to hurt them, the fact that they were able to do it was God's way of getting him to the place where he could actually save them. 
Now that's, that's incredible because we live with this idea that you're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what's coming to you. And a lot of times we see people as enemies of us and we look for ways to get our revenge. And how do we come at them? The same way David was when he was in the cave and could have killed Saul because Saul was trying to kill him. But David recognized the position of which Saul was in, and he honored the one who was attacking him and trying to kill him. Joseph honors his brothers, even though their attitude and tension was bad. See, maturity in Christ is when you see the harm that they're doing to you, God is going to turn to somehow give you the ability to bless your enemies, to bless those who want to do harm to you. And I don't know about you, that's that's an incredible statement that you could just sit there and go, what? How do we do that? Um, There's another question. Yeah, I see that. Annette says, in Exodus 4, 21 through 23, God tells Moses to perform wonders in front of Pharaoh, but then God hardens Pharaoh's heart again and again. Yeah. And you see, you see this throughout Exodus. There's two of them there, actually. So we'll get to both of them. They're both great questions. Yeah. Um, so the first one, God tells Moses to perform the miracles, and then Pharaoh's heart continues to get hard and hard. Um, and uh, God's, in fact, God tells Moses ahead of time, he says, listen, uh, his heart's going to be hardened. And, and you, you wonder, well, doesn't God's heart, doesn't God's word or when he gives commands, doesn't he soften the hearts of people? See, this goes back to, to this illustration because I struggled with this for a long time. Um, uh, that, you know, God was like through all of the plagues and through what happened at the Red Sea, God was literally being proclaimed to the world that he was the one true God, that he was the God of all gods and that the God of Israel was a living God. And, uh, but, but it never made sense. Like if God, you know, it comes back to this predestination was God then, did he hate Pharaoh that he was going to send him to hell or or destroy Pharaoh that he wanted is if how can a God of love who loves people and we tell him then then do that to Pharaoh see see the problem is uh, Pharaoh's heart out of your heart flows the issues of life or out of your heart uh, it, it reveals what's there and it, the Bible says that a proud heart God opposes but a humble heart he gives favor to and Pharaoh even puts himself up against God, like Pharaoh sees himself as a God. The Pharaohs of those days wanted the people to see them as God, and they even begin to believe they were gods. We see this also in the Roman Empire with the emperors. They, they went from being uh, Caesars to emperors seeing themselves as God, and God would oppose them. Now, how, how, what's an illustration? I haven't, the Lord kind of gave me an illustration on how to explain this. If you take water and you introduce water to um, uh, paper, paper softens when it's introduced with water. If you put water in paper, it will soften. But if you put water into a cement mix that is powdery and you introduce water to it, when the water leaves, that it becomes cement and it becomes hard. The water doesn't change, but its impact on the substance it's introduced to has a different effect. When God came to Moses, his heart 
was resistant to God, but when he received the word, it softened his heart and he responded in obedience to what God was saying. Pharaoh's heart, on the other hand, was not humble before God. It was proud. And when his word was introduced to his heart, which was proud thinking he's a God, he became very hardened to God. And the more that word came, the more hardened he became. It didn't matter how logical or obvious it was to everyone else. There's one point in here when, when I think they had the flies in one of the plagues, and all of the advisors of of Pharaoh say, let them go. Let's have nothing to do with these people. And Pharaoh still gets hardened. He says, do not let them go. He resists Moses and says, you're not going. I'm not letting you go. You're going to stay right here. So Pharaoh gets harder and harder, not because God's word changed. God's word never changes the same yesterday, today, and forever. But if the condition of our heart is proud and God's word comes to us, it's going to offend us. It's going to harden us. It's going to, it's going to attack. So it's a lot of times why, like when I preach, there are some people who will hear my word and it offends them because their heart is, this is what I want to believe. This is what I want to think. And when that word comes out, it hardens their heart. Where in other cases, that same word comes out, it softens their heart because there's a humility there wanting God to transform their heart. It's why some people respond to God's truth with a very hardened, deceived uh, mindset, and others with a very humble and open, and it reveals. And, and you say, well, then how can that word change a life? Well, the Bible's very clear. The Holy Spirit deals with the heart, and when the word comes, the, the, the soil is prepared for that word to come so that it softens their heart, not hardens their heart. You know what I found uh, interesting when I was going through this um, is— how in, where is it? It says uh, in Exodus 5, where Moses first confronts Pharaoh. Do you see that right there? Yeah. It says, uh, it's in chapter 5, um, and it's in verse 2. Uh, Pharaoh responds to Moses' request of letting his people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Uh, thus says the Lord, he prefaces, like this is what God telling you this. Yeah. And then Pharaoh's respond, just to show you, his heart and his posture towards God. He goes, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And the interesting thing about that, that I, that I kind of like I saw was in 10, um, after that, not just that he won't let, uh, Israel go, but then, uh, uh, on top of that, he adds to the workload. And when he adds to the workload, it's thus says Pharaoh, like kind of, it wasn't an act of like, ignorance or knowledge like i don't i'm not aware it was defiance like we'll go toe to toe and then it's interesting because in the plagues god's like oh you don't know me each one is moses coming to him he's like this is going to happen so that you will know well he and, is and what's interesting Lord. in the plagues too when you, if you notice in the plagues when you go through them um uh the first few plagues plagues everybody experiences it yeah. And the magicians are also able to do mm. up to the gnats. Mm -hmm. uh, the magicians do the blood, the magicians do the frogs. And and then but Pharaoh then goes to Moses because although the magicians were able to bring them, they could not stop them. Mm. You know, when you yeah. think about it, who cares if the magicians can make it happen? Yeah. Only Moses could pray to God to make it stop. Yeah. Then when it comes to the gnats, the gnats said 
to Pharaoh or the, the magicians say to Pharaoh when they try to make the gnats come and it doesn't happen, the, then, then the magicians go to Pharaoh and say, this is nothing but the finger of God, hmm. which would have been a direct insult to Pharaoh because Pharaoh in that period of time in history, they believed, Pharaoh believed he was God. Yeah, yeah he they was divine. honored them when they died, that they were one of the gods. They yeah. treated them like they were one of the gods. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was then, from that point on yeah. that God says, I'm now going to separate mm-hmm. and only the Israelites in Goshen, the area of Goshen will not experience the plagues that you are going to experience hmm. in your land. And there's a separation. He says to show you that the God of the Hebrews is better than you, hmm. greater than you. Hmm. And, and Pharaoh, you know, the, it's the reality that an argument is not going to set people free. Hmm. And I think a lot of people, they want to get in these debates and arguments with people because what they're saying is illogical. So if we think if we can introduce logic to them or if we can do some, like if a miracle happens, then they'll just come to the Lord. If this person gets healed or if this thing happens, then they all get saved. That is not always the case. In fact, in most cases, that's not the case. If someone's going to come to Christ, their heart has, there has to be something that happens in the heart and the heart has the Holy Spirit has to deal with the heart so that so that they are able to see the truth. And and then when they can see it, that thing sets them free. And proud people oppose God, just plain and simple. Um, they think of themselves as God. And and when you are in that place of thinking, you're, it's very hard for you to recognize it. And God brought Pharaoh to the place. I mean, even when the Red Sea was splitting mm-hmm. and, the, and their chariots. Um, we're falling apart. If you read that section and they're falling apart, the Egyptians are saying to yourself, this is not good. We need to get away from these Israelites. Yeah. You know, they're in the Red Sea. Their Lord they, fights for them. The yeah, right. Them. They're like, we are not fighting these people. They're fighting God. Like, they're, like they're, everything's falling apart for them mm-hmm. in the Red Sea in a dangerous place. And they realize these people aren't even fighting us. <laughs> God, that, like their God is fighting us yeah. right now. We can't win against their God. I, I think a lot more Christians, and those are unbelievers that I think became believers at the last moment that their God is the real God in this place. So yeah, you look at the plagues and, and all 10 and, and on by the 10th plague, you're just like, are you kidding me? How, how do you not get it? How do you not get it by the 10th plague? Um, so there's a question. Do you think that the Israelites would have left Egypt if they were in a favorable position? Well, do you think they would have left Egypt if, if they, they were in slavery and no, I don't think they would have been crying out to God to leave. Mm-hmm. I, I really do believe, even though it's not necessarily there. Um, I really do believe, uh, that the Israelites, God had been trying to get them to leave earlier mm. and they just didn't because mm. they were living not, not, not like while Joseph was there. Yeah. You know, when you read it, I think Joseph had become Egyptian Hmm. That his, because it had had become to a point where he looked Egyptian, he was Egyptian, and he interacted with his brother. He didn't come to interact with his brothers a lot because at the end where they were afraid he might come and kill them. Yeah. They had not been around Joseph enough to realize his attitude toward them. If he had been hanging out with his brothers, they would have known Joseph wasn't going to kill them mm. when they were gone. I think that's something where they weren't together. Like Joseph had his life 
and he interacted maybe on on uh, small short events, mm. but there wasn't a real connection there because he's married to an Egyptian. Yeah, he who's part of the priest of On. Yeah, and um, and so Joseph, I think it was probably somewhat separated from his brothers, right? But they were living in 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 Goshen, Goshen yeah. and it was a great time. I think at some point when Jacob said, "We need to, you need to go back to the promised land." It was hundreds of years after that before they begin to cry out because hmm. Pharaohs had come and died and says this Pharaoh they did forgot. not know about Joseph. Hmm. Well, the Pharaoh born to the Pharaoh when Joseph was there would have had a brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have had a or a son. I'm sorry, and the son would have known of Joseph, maybe even the grandson. Yeah. So you're talking about Pharaohs that mm-hmm. have gone after. They just didn't weren't aware who the Hebrew people were and who Joseph was. So there's a lot of time going by here. Um, there was another question. Do we know what time frame for the plagues? There's a lot of debate on the time frame for the plagues. You can actually Google this, but you're going to get a lot of debate of when it took place. I know. Um, those who argue for um, in the creation thing of you know it happened over millions Earth, of years Earth. yeah huh <laughs> the plagues happened over millions of years yeah yeah there's there's some people it, it, there's a lot of debate of when it took place um, you know when you think of Abraham it was about twelve hundred years they say about twelve hundred years he would have been BC. Um, you, so you're, you're looking from Abraham, you're looking probably eight, seven, eight hundred. I, you know, I'm I think she's talking about up. the, the plagues, the specific, uh, the plagues. Is that what you're talking about? She's saying that, that do, do we know the, the time frame for the plagues? Like when they all like, how, how fast was it? Oh, about from we, when it started to when well, it finished. The, we I'm know assuming. the one was the from between the first and the second was seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it doesn't refer. So I think a lot of it, it, you know, they assumed it. they happened fairly consistently over a matter of weeks to months. It wasn't yeah. years when all of that was taking place. Is there a significant, uh, is there a significance to the water turning to blood and why were there specific plagues chosen? Ooh, that's going to be a Yeah, fun. I think Jen is trying to stump us all on this. I mean, there's a. This is also something that, uh, when you get into it, um, when you're studying, especially a chapter at a time, where many preachers have gone through the plagues and then identified what it was. And um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with all of those because the blood was it was it was to reveal to them, uh, one the Nile River when dealing with the Nile River, um, like in the blood. That, that was a perfect example where I've heard it said because the Nile was the source of prosperity for the Egyptians, it was their god almost. It was like the god of the Nile. Um, um, was there, it, The Nile's what gave their land life. It's what caused prosperity because water is life. Water was a big deal. They're, they were the agriculture. Everything came from the Nile. And when he strikes the Nile and it turns to blood, essentially some have said really the thing that brings life is not the Nile. The thing that brings life would be the blood. It was almost prophetic, the blood of Christ um, moving forward. Um, And the blood of Christ, the blood of the lamb, was the stench to the Egyptians. Um, I also think, too, it was uh, the plagues were specific um, to, to establish that it's actually God who's in control 
of all these different areas of life that were supposedly protected by Egypt's gods. So it was demonstrating God's power um, over the the gods of well of when Egypt. the when the plague of hail came he was saying essentially this you know i control nature yeah i am the king of nature you can you can argue the first few flags why all 10 well you could argue away in history that it was just some event that happened but it was calculated and, and precise it was yeah. a strategy it, it was literally as moses went to pharaoh and said these were going to happen yeah then they all happened it wasn't something that just you know, happened because of in the it, they were specific and they all happened. Oh, this next one, I I really loved that. Uh, this first tripped me out. I was talking to Bailey about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, uh, when I had read it, it's so it's so cool that the the um the connection as a Christian looking down the road and it's like that sounds awfully familiar. If you look up and he says in uh, Exodus thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 15, let's open that up and, uh, yeah. you read that real quick. I'll have it up on the screen. Well, it, this is something, you know, in a few weeks, I'm going to be talking about the blessed life and, and, um, this is really tied to tithing in, in many ways because the tithe is your firstborn or your first fruit. And, and what he's saying is, and, and, um, let me take you to of the, let's go to chapter 13. Uh, verse one first. Uh, look what it says. It says, The Lord said to Moses, verse two, consecrate to me every firstborn yeah. male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, mm. whether man or animal. And and um, and then he gets into talking about how God brought them out of Egypt. Um essentially saying that the firstborn was his, okay? And this is where back in Cain and Abel, when we're talking about first fruit or firstborn, he's saying consecrated to me. So the, the thing I would really uh, bring up, and and I wanted to do more study in this and, and didn't really get in, like what is it talking about when you consecrate the firstborn? Um, do you kill it? So every firstborn son is supposed to be killed. Um, if that's the case, maybe we should all, I'm a firstborn son, so I don't like that interpretation. What well, says to redeem it? I, yeah. The, well, we're getting to that, Alex. <laughs> you know, I just jumping ahead. I wanted just... to start on time today. He kept pushing me oh, off. So yeah, I'm going to push him off right now. <laughs> whatever. Uh, so Exodus 13, go to uh, where Sean took us to 15. It said, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let his let us go. The Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb, redeem each of my firstborn sons, and it will be like a sign unto your land and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Um, let's go. We got to go back even further than 15. It says, in the days to come, when your son asks you, mm-hmm. why are we killing the firstborn, which is like the first, like we haven't yet made any money on our flocks or in our harvest. Why are we sacrificing it to the Lord? And he says, what does this mean? He says, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. And when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. And this is why I sacrifice to the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. So, like, literally, in this 
place right here, he's saying when he takes the firstborn of a perfect animal and he sacrifices it, he's saying it replaces having to sacrifice his firstborn son. Mm-hmm. That, that, that even in Christ was the ultimate sacrifice that was sacrificed on the cross, the firstborn, Oof. in order to redeem all of us. So, so when Jesus went to the cross as the Lamb of God, oh man, I'm getting goosebumps becomes, already. Then becomes a firstborn, and then he redeems the firstborn of every family. And so that, and he says, he says, so now when I make this sacrifice, I'm doing it. I do it with joy to redeem. Mm. Uh, and the Lamb is a clean animal. And it he redeemed redeems, the world by yes. offering himself. He redeemed humanity by well, offering there, his Well, there's blood. a whole part to this because it, there's the unclean. Yeah. You have to, you have to sacrifice a clean to, to redeem an unclean. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, I'll talk about this more. It's a lot. Uh, can I show you something else too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean, Where do you want me in to go? This, in, in verse 16 of this chapter, there's something else here I saw that I thought was interesting. It says, and it will be like a sign on where? your hand and a symbol on your Hmm. forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. (laughs) It's interesting because when you read that, uh, where does the mark of the beast go in Mm. Revelation? It goes on the back of your hand or on your forehead. The mark of the beast wants you to identify with him and that, that being able to sell and trade commerce, mammon, is your God. And in this place, he's saying, no, I am your God. You sacrifice your hmm. firstborn. You sacrifice that, that tithe. Because why do we not tithe? We don't tithe because, because we need money and we want money. And it makes our decisions. When you tithe, you're saying, I'm, I'm giving, money is not my God. God takes care of me. So I'm going to be obedient to that. What is it's a statement of giving my firstborn. It redeems the rest. And essentially, I'm, I'm, it's not a matter of commerce to me. I'm not, I don't, even, even when in the end days, if you don't take the mark, God will take care of you. He provides for you hmm. where many people out of fear will take the mark because they'll think the only one who can provide for them and and why that's so important is when they left Egypt, they left the, the thing that was enslaving them was the thing they thought was providing for them. Hmm. And we read this later when they go to Mara and say, why did you bring us out here? We could have been in Egypt and we would have had water and food, but you brought us out here to die. Why didn't you just leave us there? Mm-hmm. Being we our had pots slavery. of meat. They are, they're believing, even though they're now walking out of slavery, they weren't walking in freedom. They weren't walking in the prosperity because they still had the slavery mentality. And, and they thought, my provision is in my slave master giving me what I need. Mm. And that's what it is. Matai says, I, my money is not my slave master. I don't, my money isn't telling me what to do. And it's not beating, that literally, I have a God. And he, he even says, he gives himself the name uh, uh, when they go to Mara. If you go to Mara, where this is after they get out, where the water comes from the rock in chapter 17, they, they I think it was 17. Water from the rock is 17. Or was it Israel earlier? Israel defeats the Amalekites. Yeah, I'm trying to I think. think before. Yeah, I think it was earlier. Tranquil from heaven. The first time they get water at Mara, they get water at Mara. Yeah, 1522. Yeah. 
So they get water at Marah, and then God declares, he says, listen, if you obey my commands and if mm. you trust me and you follow me, yep. I will be your healer, mm. and you will not suffer from the sicknesses and yeah. diseases that were in Egypt. You will be, you'll have health and healing. What he's saying in that moment is, I'm Jehovah Rapha. So remember, in, in back in Genesis, he revealed, I am your provider. I'm Jehovah Jireh. Now he's saying is, to all of us, I am Jehovah Rapha. So as you're walking through this wilderness, through the valley of death, I'm going to be your healer and you can come to me and and healing will come to you in ways that you can't explain. Um, but you need to trust me. And and really what's happening now and we're seeing this is they're leaving Egypt where all they know is slavery. Um, they, they, all of the people that lived in the prosperity of Joseph and lived under the sons of Jake, they're all gone. Now we're living in the grandsons, great grandsons, great, great grandsons. Well, the grandsons are gone. I mean, literally we're, we're probably four generations away, five generations away, six generations away, probably even more than that. If I'm doing the math right in my head, we're, we're quite a bit away. All they know is slavery now. And when you're raised in that, you step out. Now they're coming out of the land of Egypt. And notice it said that God had caused the Egyptians to be favorably disposed to the Israelites. Mm, yeah. That whatever they asked for, they gave them. Not the even Egyptians a dog would snarl them. at them. Yeah, right. So when they walked out, like there wouldn't even be like, you know, there was no, you know, stinking faces towards them. Like these, these Hebrews taken from us, they like. Not, I love how they even said, not even a, God said, not even a dog will growl at you when you right. leave and they will give you their gold and you will plunder them. It's yeah, crazy. And, and, and what's interesting, it said 600,000 men had left. So we're talking probably about a million and a half people are leaving. Can you imagine administrating a million and a half people to leave at one time? That would be hectic. Yeah. To all get their stuff, do all of this. I mean, that is insane. Um, without cars, without buses, without, I mean, they're all using animals and, yeah. and uh, trailers. And keep in mind, a lot of livestock have been killed during this period of time because of the plagues. There's a lot going on um, during this. There, but there are no, uh, a million and a half people. And, and it says that he didn't take them the road of the Philistines. Why? Because they were, he knew their mindset was that of slavery and the Philistines would defeat them. He took them on a road where they would not have to battle yet because they weren't ready to do that. Um, there's a, what did you think about? So we talked about this in, in group last night. Um, Exodus 16, um, right after, so you see at, at Mara. Um, he tests them and he says, if you listen to me, I'll heal you. But then after that, I may get in the, the ESV. I'm, I don't know why I'm on new living well, translation. While you're right doing now. that while you're looking that up. Well, here, here it's, uh, there's a question here. Why no yeast in the bread? Oh yeah. Go ahead. Well, because yeast would have caused the bread to rise and then it would, and if you allow it to rise too long, it just grows into this big thing. It would have been very hard to travel with it. They were to have yeast with no bread because they needed to travel with it, or yeast, no yeast in the bread because they would need to travel with it. So they were creating, it was unleavened bread so that it didn't rise. I mean, because they, they took the Passover ready to leave as soon as uh, daylight came. So I got it now. Okay, I, I got it on the Bible for you, for you guys watching. Uh, and those of you listening, Exodus 16, 
four, I saw this really interesting and I had, this is, I think I brought this up to you mm-hmm. when I was reading this because it's so familiar when I see Jesus and him testing his disciples and he's like leading and teaching them who he is, breaking their slavery mindset mm-hmm. that God starts at Mara and is teaching them. If you obey my word, you will be healed and the disease that inflicted mm-hmm. Egypt won't inflict you. But then in four, when he's introducing the bread, it's more than just filling their stomachs. But it says in four, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Did, what did you, what's did, was there anything that stuck well, out to you, you through the, that whole? I mean, you got to go on then to what else it talked about with manna, because it said that they went out and they didn't obey it. Mm-hmm. They, uh, some took more, some exactly. took less. And it was the, exactly what they needed. I thought that was interesting. It was like some took more than mm-hmm. they needed. Some took less than they needed. But in the end, it was what they needed. Yeah, it still sustained them, yeah. whether, whatever said, amount. Well, why am I going to, uh, how long will I deal with these people? I mean, just do what I'm asking you to do. I found, I found it interesting because it's, uh, it, it is, it was, you know, you can skip over that and not want to talk about the bread because it's like, yeah, it's really cool. It's manna, but it's God's, again, he had a strategy against Egypt to release them by plagues with with the with uh uh with the purpose to be able to show Egypt his glory and to show him who he is by showing his control over nature and the the supposed gods that protected those areas while simultaneously freeing his people but then now so the threat is removed and now he's got work to do to begin to disciple and to break the slavery mindset and teaching them to trust in him that they didn't, they couldn't have a meal pr- plan and plan for the week because it would get, it would yeah, get old. They had to trust it, him it, every day. The Lord's prayer is give us th- this day, our daily so bread. cool. You know, Jesus is essentially saying in mm-hmm. life, you know, as we live, we have to live a life where we wake up and we trust God for everything mm-hmm. we need in that day. And we're not anxious about what might happen in the day, all the things that would take place in that day. You know, um, something that's interesting in that, you know, if we see God as our Jehovah Jireh, mm-hmm. we go all the way back, and that's why I think it was revealed first that God's your provider. Mm-hmm. If you see God as your Jehovah Jireh, and he revealed himself to Abraham as the Jehovah Jireh, and then we give glory to him for all the things he's, he's done in our life, we'll, we give him, we'll obey him because we really do believe he's our provider. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, I think... What would happen in Judaism later on, and we'll see this, he says, there's no other gods before you. Mm-hmm. When we go to Israel, like a Dan or any places, you'll often see people who had temples and synagogues, but then they have standing stones because they wanted to cover their bases. They believed in <laughs> God and in God, but then yeah. they wanted the other gods to help maybe. Just with, in case. Where, yeah, just in case God didn't hear them or he was too busy and they had these standing stones and you see them in Egypt or in Turkey as well. In the early church, um, some of the Jewish people kind of bring that that thinking in a little bit. Alex did a video called um, with somebody who's talking about God's being jealous and he's insecure and all of that stuff. And and he talked about how you can't divine jealousy the way we do and is in biblical jealousy. I, th- I think this is a perfect example of this. God is the provider of everything we need. He provides for the righteous and the unrighteous. All of the food on this planet, all of the resources of this planet 
came from one place, God. And when we worship other gods, essentially what we're doing is giving not worship to the one who gave it to us, but worship to fake things that have done nothing, right? And God says, wait a minute, I, 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 I did that for you. I blessed you. It's like I always say Christmas. I'm going to never told my kids Santa gave it to them because I'm the one that worked hard to give it to them. I'm not giving praise to Santa. I'm not going to let their praise go to Santa at any point. I want them to praise their dad for giving because I did it out of my own generosity, my heart. And, and, and then we think God's insecure because he needs to have our, no, 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 no. He deserves our praise because he did it all. No one listening to this likes it. When we do a project in our workplace and we do it really well and it's very successful and then our boss who did none of the work takes all the credit and they pray and we watch as they praise our boss for how great he is and visionary he is and gifted he is and you know you were the one to do it. Do you sit there and applaud? Do you love that? No, you don't. Something in you rises up because you're jealous for that. There's something in you says, no, 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 no. He did nothing. I did it. And God's saying, I want you to look at me because I created you for worship. And I said, I'd take care of you. And that's what he's trying to show the Israelites right here. And the Israelites are still stuck with thinking it was the Egyptians that had done it because it was the land of Goshen. It was the Egyptians. And they would be willing to put up with a, the oppression, of, even though they cried out to God, they were not wanting God to take them out of Egypt. They wanted God to change the leadership in mm -hmm. Egypt. See, God was taking them to a land that he had wanted them in. They just wanted God to change the leadership and treat them better where they're at. Wow. And so don't offend me. Don't, don't take me or tell me anything that brings me out of the place where I'm at. Let me live in my place that isn't the plan of God for my life and just make it better for me. Just mm -hmm. make the surroundings better for my life so I can live where I'm at. And that's just not how God works. He's, he's really pulling us out of that place. And, and, and make no mistake about it. God, God was, re he says in this, and, and there's a number of times where he says, I'm revealing myself to the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. That So even when the army went into the water, the Egyptians who were dying, it was a revelation to them that the is Hebrew God was the God of all gods. But it was also a revelation to those in Egypt that the God of the Hebrews was real. And in the land of Canaan, because when they go to Jericho, they say, we have heard the stories of the God of the Hebrews. And fear was in there in, in them because they had heard God had revealed himself to all of those kingdoms in the surrounding territories. And the fear of God preceded the Hebrews. But what's so ironic is the Hebrews didn't fear God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Hebrews didn't didn't recognize it, even though he was leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, even though he provided water and Mara, even though he provided uh, quail and manna, they, they were con it was just, they just struggled to just trust God. And before we get too hard on the Israelites, yeah, don't you find it sometimes that it's awfully difficult to trust God where you're at, mm. even though we have an entire book yeah. full of, of true 
dialogue in history that tells us, tr just trust me, just, just trust me, just trust me, mm -hmm. just trust me. Yeah, I think it's, and it's, it's the common lie that we believe that, you know, if I had, it's, it, it's the lack of evidence that keeps me from belief in God, which I just, I just don't, I just don't buy. I, I love it. And this is back. This was in the footnotes. I know how much you, you hate the footnotes, but uh, I just love how they kind of describe Pharaoh's knowledge of God. Cause Pharaoh had a knowledge of God. He was more so acting in defiance. And I see it and people that I talk to when I witness to, it's like they, they know God, they want God though to meet them on their terms. And so he said in the sense, the sense of the word no here is simple, uh, similar to its use in its declaration that the Lord knew Israel's suffering. It is not simply the knower's cognitive recognition or acknowledgement, but it's also the inclination or posture of the knower in relation to what is known. Yeah. It's not just what, it's not just the evidence that you have in your head, your head, like I know of God. It's what do you do with that, that information? It goes, and that yeah. was Israel's problem that we constantly see that God is trying to pare down and to test them, uh, to break that slavery mindset. Well, there's a couple of, Sean, who said the whole story of defeating, uh, Amalek is so interesting. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, very quickly, as Moses raised his hand and surrendered to God, God fought his battle. I mean, I think it goes back to a lot of times when there's nothing you can do, you need to fight your battles. God needs to fight your battles. There's another point, too, where um, uh, I think it was Amal in the Amalekites um, where God says to Moses, I'm trying to remember where it was, and I'm all over on my notes here, but God says to Moses, what are you doing? Get up and go. <laughs> like, like Moses is trying to ask God, which and he says, like, go, I'm with you. Mm. A lot of times God tells us to do something and we're waiting for him. And he's like, like, go, go, go. Now's the time Was to that go. 14. I think that was Exodus 14 at the Red Sea where he's like, go. All you have to do is yeah, be silent. Right. Yeah, and just the Lord go and do it. For you. The Lord's going to fight for you. Exodus like, what 14. are you doing here? But go back all the way back to Exodus 3, mm -hmm. uh, where where Moses says he sees the burning bush, which was just God in a bush. God appeared as fire in a bush. That's why it wasn't consuming the bush. Um, and he goes to Moses and he says, I want you to go do that. And he gives us three excuses. He says, who am I? That's excuse number one. He says, what if they don't believe me? And, and so God answers the question who he is. He says, it's not who you are, it's who I am. Mm. Right. And he says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And, and then he gives them the staff. He gives him the resource he, he needs. And then, and then the third one is, Lord, I'm not eloquent in speech. And he mm. says, who created your mouth, brother? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you think I would have asked you? Like, you're telling me all these things, but why? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know how insulting it is to your creator to say, like, you, maybe you've forgotten God, but I can't do what you're asking me to do. If God's asking you to do it, he's equipped you to do it. And then we find out where Moses' heart was. He said, send someone else. Mm. And it said that God becomes angry with him mm. because he, in, in 13 and 17, it says God chose Moses and reluctantly includes Aaron because Moses is kind of, he's just like not wanting to do it. Yeah. And, and he, he, in order to get my, like Moses, what I love about God, he's like, man, I wanted to put all my glory in your life and show, but now you're going to share it. 
because and Aaron becomes a problem later on in in history yeah. because he does that. He adds so, another. It's like he adds an unnecessary position because now he says that. What's interesting, what I saw was that you will be like uh, you will be like God to the people, and Aaron will be your prophet. Like yeah. he's the he's the mouthpiece. How what I wanted you to be. Yeah. And now we're adding another element, just like playing telephone when you could have just been Spoken my mouthpiece. That, right. Yeah. And and in the end, Moses ends up becoming the mouthpiece. Yeah. As Aaron tries to separate. But look in verse 24, in, in Exodus 4, verse 24 and 26, there, there's something that comes up here that's a pretty difficult uh, thing to, to even really. And I'm bringing it to your oh, attention because yeah. I want you to look at this. This is a weird one. It says Moses was almost killed by God. Um, it says that God almost killed him, and it's a difficult, pa- uh, really, passage. It, some would say it's a, it's a foreshadowing of a blood covering uh, because somewhere along the line, they're coming back. Moses marries uh, Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, and she's not, they're not Israeli, but they're, her dad's a priest of God, and here's another priest of God, not of the Israeli bloodline. Again, I think it's very important to identify, like Sunday morning we talked about this, global history has God followers in it that were not in the Abrahamic line, that were not in Israel. I think when we read the Old Testament, we think only Israelis were God-fearers. There were other people who feared God. He had revealed himself to them. And Jethro actually becomes a blessing to Moses at one point. And the last chapter we read where he says, Moses, you need to have people that you you delegate to. And he gives them this leadership principle. You had like a Craig Rochelle podcast, like uh, Jethro came in spitting some wisdom. Yeah, go look for Jethro on YouTube. Yeah. He could give you, <laughs> but got some he, leadership talks out there, but, I think. So Zipporah, who he marries, is a righteous woman. And she obeys God. She actually circumcises. There's This whole thing in circumcision was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was a big, big, it was like Sabbath to the Jewish people. It was a big deal to God. Sign. And and you may not understand fully why it is, and that's fine, but you need to understand that circumcision was a huge deal to them because she circumcises their son who was not yet circumcised. So the liver is coming to the people of Israel, and he and is Moses even circumcised? Um, uh, I, I don't remember reading that when he was taken up by Pharaoh's um, a daughter, was he even circumcised mm. when he came in and when he left to go? Because what's interesting, and you'll notice this in your reading, when he goes to the backside, the far side of the desert, where he goes where where Jethro is, mm-hmm. right? Zipporah, who sees him, goes to her father and says, an Egyptian helped us. Hmm. That although Moses knew he was Jew and killed the Egyptian for beating the Jew, looked an awful more uh, an awful lot like an egyptian and he was raised in that mm. thing so would he have even been circumcised and coming back it said when the when the foreskin of her son touched him it caused god to back away yeah okay so 
I've tried look every time I read this, I always go away and I try to do research on it. No one has an answer. Uh, no, the scholars I've looked no at one it has as an well. Answer. There is no real scholar reason. It's there for a reason. Yeah, that's and what I'm saying. It's and so there's random. There's probably an argument that will come up some point. Yeah. As as it does. But there is nothing out there really that kind of makes sense of it right now. There's no. some missing details there. And so but it's an interesting thing to yeah. bring up. He says that a reading. lot. Let, read read that just for so people that are listening know what we're talking talking about exodus 4 24 um through 26 yeah read that real quick for him or i you want me to read it i got it right here it says that at a lodging place on the way the lord met moses and was about to kill him which makes no sense because god wanted him to go to israel to be their deliverer but zipporah took a flint knife cut off her son's foreskin touched moses feet with it surely you are bridegroom of blood to me she said well, that's an argument they were having. So the Lord, can, how do you argue that? <laughs> so the Lord led him alone at that time. She said, bridegroom of love, referring to the circumcision. So my, my thought is he wasn't circumcised and they were going back and, and uh, they circumcised their son. Maybe he didn't see the importance of it and, and it was an important deal to God, but circumcision's right in the middle of well, all Well, this of is the thing too. So my mind goes to as well, um, when they left, when they left Egypt, yeah, they had a time where they were all when they were consecrated, they were yeah. circumcised. Those mm-hmm. who weren't, but the so the same with this. Like I'm just thinking because we, we live in this idea of like just grace, 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 but and fail to recognize the power of the blood of Christ that protects us from the destroyer of death. Yeah. So when I think of this. I also, because it's a covenant, the circumcision was a covenant, but also them obeying when the destroyer, the firstborn came to obey, putting, God told them to put hyssop over their doorpost. And because they did that, the destroyer passed over them. So when I see this, this is in relation to a covenant that he told that, that, that they were supposed to make identifiable as the people of God, that they had made covenant with God, but then also the obedience that what was it that blood covering the doorpost caused the destroyer, the firstborn to pass over. Like, what is it about like these deals? Like who, who, why, why is God coming to kill him? And who is the destroyer of the firstborn? And why is it these, like this obedience, this specific, you know, circumcision or the hyssop over the door? Why is it that those things protect them? Well, the hyssop was the thing they put the blood over the door. Yeah, exactly. But okay. why did it have to be that? Well, blood in order- is life. Yeah. Blood is life. Christ shed his blood. Go to go to that in Exodus chapter 12, okay. actually, because uh, I was just turning there when you started talking about this. It's the Passover. Yeah. And if you go to, um, said they were to take a perfect lamb and that they were sacrifice it and put it on its doorpost, which is what you brought up. If you go to um, verse 11 it says it tells them how to eat it yeah um it says this is how are you to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand essentially eat it getting ready to to leave and then it goes on to verse 12 it says on that same night i will pass through egypt strike down every firstborn both men and animals and i'll bring judgment look at look at this on all the gods of egypt yeah that in this night there will be a judgment because their gods cannot protect them. Mm. And then he says, I am the Lord. Mm. And then 13, and this is what 
really, it's, it's the first part where you really see the, it says in 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And when, when I, when I read that, um, it was like the importance of the blood. I remember back in, in earlier days when when we would plead the blood of Jesus mm. over our life. I plead the blood of Jesus over yeah. our life because it was a protect. The enemy cannot penetrate the life mm. of Christ. And when Christ shed that blood, there's something about it that changes us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives us life. Like even the obedience to the word is is protection. So I see it like with circumcision, God's command for circumcision, their disobedience almost led to their destruction, almost was killed. And then Zipporah is like, somehow Zipporah figured it out and then threw it at their feet. And then here, same, their obedience. Yeah, I I think that she understood a lot of where Jacob was from. I think uh, the Jewish faith, even at that, the traditions that they had were already there. I mean, there's no Torah at this time. They're very simple things. Go to verse 23. Yeah. It said, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and on the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not prevent the destroyer to enter your house or strike you down. So you plead, when we pray, we plead the blood of Jesus over us. It is a sign to uh, the demonic realm, who we are, that we're covering the but blood But he's of the one that's doing it, though, that he will see and he will pass over the door. No, the death angel will. For the Lord will pass no, through his strength. No, I, this is the other thing. I think the Lord. It says the Lord will pass yeah. over. Uh, oh, I guess. Well, okay. So you tell me. The Lord will pass over the door and will not. This, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. The Lord will pass over the door, and but he, he's passing over the door. But then it says he will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Right. So there's two things going on there. Or am well, I just who, like who's on the throne and well, who brings yeah. death? Yeah. And who do we think? Wh- do you read the book of Job? We haven't gotten to the book of Job yeah. yet. It's the oldest book in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, who is the one that brings the death and destruction to Job? Satan. Mm-hmm. Who introduces him to Job? Who introduces the possibility of it to Job? it's hard it's hard to think that that's like that he's commissioned do we think i i think that's what we have like we we sometimes think that satan just run around doing whatever he wants yeah he'll he will not allow yeah interesting it's something in me is disagreeing with you i know I don't know. You know, it's interesting in Africa. Um, I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of Christians in Africa. It's why I think people need to travel around the world. If you <laughs> if you only stay in your nation, you don't know what's going on around the world. You don't know what's happening in the church around the world. And you start to think the Church of America is superior to other believers around the world. But when you go and visit them, you start talking to them, you, their experiences, there's a lot of similarity of things, and there's a lot of things you can learn. And, you know, especially as America's moving into a very pagan mentality, you're going to see the rise of gods 
in our country that other countries have had to deal with because they were operating in paganism. And, and, and you learn from the Christians that have had to walk through that, and many of them will tell you that, that demons have been able to work. Like when there are demonic forces, the only thing, it was well known, that the only thing that would protect you is the blood of Jesus, that you were a believer in Christ, and he would protect you from those demonic things. But it's hard to reconcile Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, uh, where God, Satan comes to him and then says, um, uh, you know, have you considered my servant Job? And, you know, there's a lot of people struggle with that because they, they just don't think that's, that can be, that can happen. And yet God says, I'll give you nothing more than you can handle. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind Jesus promises that we're going to have troubles in this life. Okay, it, I just it, I just have to say it because it sparked a thing you had said that I heard in one of your Bible studies when I start, first started coming here. You said that Satan is our slave. Do you mm -hmm. Does that spark anything in your brain? Yeah. And even, so then my mind just, I was trying to say it because then I, I didn't want to forget it. So you, you, okay, so pin that. I also think, about how where is Jesus going is going to destroy led. you or is Satan, what Satan doing going, what Satan did yeah. against Joseph, was it for our good or for our bad? There you go. Satan's a slave for the glory of God. He brings it up. He's trying Regardless. to destroy. What did yeah, Satan yeah. do to Jesus? That's what I was going to bring up. He Satan. drove him out. He drove him out into the will. The, 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 it said the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, the same word used actually in, in, in the exile of Adam and Eve. It drove Jesus forcefully into the wilderness where he was to be tested. And it was Satan doing that. And what happened on the cross? God mm. used Satan yeah. to flog him, hmm. to kill him, to, to crucify him. Because he thought, he was going to defeat the promise and the resurrection satan walked right into the trap the resurrection set everybody free not just jesus free set everyone free who would come to christ satan played right into the hand hmm. of god he tried to kill the son of god as he did adam he tried to destroy the son of god and the son of god was raised I need to sit on it for a second. Okay. So God, so who's the slave? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're more than conquerors. It, can't, it's, is, it doesn't lead to death. I don't death. know if that this was ever God's plan. I think God no, would yeah. put Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't want them to sin. He no, didn't want to yeah. have to go through all of this. But when Adam and Eve made the decision to do that, their bloodline became tainted by sin. The death yeah. entered the world. Death entered the bloodline. Mm. So the, the blood... Why, why it's so important, and I always say this, and everybody looks at me like I'm nuts. The biggest thing of evolution. Christina says, Alex struggling with this. <laughs> yeah. The biggest, <laughs> the biggest thing about all of this is the question is not where we're coming, like where did life come from, although that is a question that we answer through God. Where did death come from? Mm -hmm. Evolutionists can't, if everything was perpetually pushing to life, 
then where did death come from? How do you explain death? Yeah. How do you explain that whole idea of death? We have an explanation of death. And, and so when you think of Adam and Eve, their bloodline was tainted with death. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even sin that entered the world. It was death. And Genesis 3 was all about death. Death entered the world. And now we're, we have a death problem. Mm. Well, what is the answer to the death problem? It was the resurrection, but what, what, is, what, what is that resurrection? It's the blood. Mm. The blood brings life to the body. It's, the, it's a, a blood uh, source that is pure. It's life-giving. It protects. It guards. That, that is what the blood means to all of us. And, and it's why it's important. And, and the Passover, he said, cover your, it, mm-hmm. and the, it will protect you from the what angel? The death angel. And you're protected. You're protected. This is the thing, too. It's not just belief, but belief is its obedience, too. So even I would even thought of Noah and how God was sending a flood. And it was his obedience that spared him and his family. Right. It was obedience to the word, just like you see with the covenant with circumcision, just like you see with the command of when we went at Mara, he says, if you obey me and my word, the diseases that fell on Egypt won't fall upon you. It's this obedience thing and where Jesus, where God is, is testing them with the bread to see if they'll follow his law. Like it's this. Yep. It's interesting. So, so, um, it's all like connected. so when when Moses is meeting God at the burning bush, God yep. reveals himself as I am the I am. Yep. At Mara, he reveals himself as Jehovah Rothka, mm-hmm. God, my healer. Mm-hmm. And then with Amalek and the Amalekites, he reveals himself as Jehovah Nisi's which is God is my Jeho- banner. Yeah, God is my banner. He is the one I stand for. This is my who who I'm standing with. And I did find that that um, Exodus 14, mm-hmm. huge chapter. In fact, it is is probably it, it's a chapter you could preach a whole message on. Um, God wants to reveal Himself to the Egyptians and all the kingdoms around it, and he and he makes it appear. Uh, like the Israel, so what he does is he tells the Israelites to just kind of move around. He kind of makes them look like they're wandering and they don't know where they're going, which then draws mm. the Egyptian army in. Like God draws them in because he's going to reveal. He's not done with the plague showing who he is. Interesting. And so he brings them in because he wants to reveal to the Egyptians that he truly is the God, that he's not just the God that punishes, but he's the God that provides. And... And so uh, that's where verse 14, where the Lord, he says, will fight. For, they get scared. And verse 14, and he says, the Lord will fight for you. I just thought you said still. fart for a second. <laughs> <laughs> he won't do that. And then in verse 15, this is where he says, where, where I was talking about, if you go to 1415. Yeah, this is a, this is, you got to put where this, I was bringing it up. This is a tattoo right here. It said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Mm. And I think some of you need to hear that today that maybe you're listening. Just be still, trust him. Wow. And then, then, and then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch your hand out and divide the water. Is that it? Just go out and divide the Red Sea? He says, why do you keep crying out to me? You know what to do. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Go out. And I mean, mean, think about it. 
we could sit there. Yeah, Moses, go yeah, out. Come on, bro. God's asking him to put his staff in the Red Sea, and it's going to split, and you're going to walk through on dry ground. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that before. Yeah. Yeah. That, what an incredible, like, what? that's a lot. Yeah. Right? That's a lot. They're they're asking for a lot. It seems when mm-hmm. you're when you're going through that. So it, I mean, you the the chapters we went through. I could preach like there's you know, so 100 much sermons out of oh all of this because you're covering such a long time in history, and and I think the one thing you find in this period of time yeah. is, and this is a great theme, you can be delivered from the slavery of sin and this and death. But that doesn't mean you're walking in freedom. Ooh. And and if you're maybe like God's calling you to something, to mm, walk in the good. promises of God, to walk in the mm. in the purpose of God for your life, he's calling you to walk in building the kingdom of God. There are a lot of Christians that are stuck in this wilderness where they're not in slavery anymore. They've been set free from the addictions. They've been set free from the guilt and shame and condemnation. But they, they aren't yet walking in the purpose of life. They're wow. not walking in what God's called them to, which is what Flip, Flip, Philippians said. We press on toward the goal for which Christ has called us mm. heavenward, that that we have a purpose. Like there's something out there that we're called to, that he's, he's compelling us to. Mm. And so there is a difference between deliverance ministry and freedom ministry. Ooh. Deliverance Ooh. ministry will set you free, but freedom ministry Ooh. will set you up to do what you are are supposed to do. That. And that, like in, in chapter 14, when he says, what are you crying out to me for? <sighs> Enough with all of the prayer meetings about something that I've already given you direction wow. in. Prayer meetings are important. They really are, and they're essential, but I'm calling you to, to move on, move wow. on, move on move on yeah just be obedient you know what to do you know what the next steps are why are you looking to me just walk i think that's the thing that people struggle with like what we had like what i told you like in prayer prayer is not throwing up a wish list like you take a coin and you throw it in a wishing well prayer is believing that you have received uh before you see it like it's uh, your 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 Mm -hmm. sight doesn't dictate your faith your faith dictates what reality is even though you don't you well, don't yet see the whole it. faith without works is yeah. is dead mm-hmm. prayer without action is fruitless yeah exactly i mean there is prayer where you pray where they went into the temple when when david would go into the temple then they go out mm-hmm. they prayed and then they went out um one more thing before we're we come to the end and we've covered a lot of the chapters in varying but exodus 16 uh if you go to exodus 16 um What's interesting is uh, the manna and quail, this is when it all kind of happens. But I want you to notice something. Uh, when they set out, it says, In the desert of the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died uh, by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all foods we wanted. No, they didn't. That's, they were grumbling in Egypt. They were grumbling. That's what slaves do. Slaves complain and grumble. If you're a believer that is grumbling and complaining about your church or the people in your church or about what God isn't doing and God's holding out on you, you're you're in the wilderness. You're living in a slavery mentality as wow. if God's holding out on you. God doesn't hold on to you. But you will start telling yourself lies. And, and I've always called this romancing our past. Hmm. 
if we're living in a dead religion we it, we're, that doesn't let us do anything, if that's our mentality in our walk with God, is God isn't letting me do anything. I can't do this. I can't do that. If, you're, if you don't recognize yet all of the things God gives us, the blessings he's given us, access the things we never had before, um, the joy, the peace, the love, the experience of being able to conquer anxiety, um, the freedom he gives us, if, if, if we're living, if we don't, oper- if we're not walking in it, we're living in this dead religion and we'll start to romance our past of what it was like when we were sinners. And I have seen this with people where they said, oh yeah, remember when we'd get drunk and we'd do all that, and they started laughing about it. Or remember when we'd get high, or remember when we'd run after, uh, you know, there's one person in particular, you said, remember, they were, they were uh, grateful dead guys, deadheads that would travel with, and they would hit, one of their friends came and they, they had both gotten saved, but then they started romance. And it wasn't long after that that they ended back up in slavery back up in their past where they went back to it you don't romance your past the Israelites started romancing what it was like to be in slavery and what they were doing was creating this wall that was preventing them from walking in freedom they started to think their past they had was better than what their future would be. Mm. And I think as Christians, you have to recognize that even though you may be going through some difficult times now, God has a future for you that will far exceed any fun you had in the past, any joy you had in the past. There's a future ahead that is greater than you can possibly even imagine. Amen. Amen. Well, I think my camera overheated. So... Thank you guys for joining us, man. There is so much. And the, and the purpose of that why, why we do this is that you guys will hopefully go back and uh, you'll study this for yourself. We just, we're, we're poking at things and I, I hopefully we're trying to show, like these are conversations that we just have naturally off camera. And it's what we'd hope you would do, poke and prod at different questions. Don't just come across something that doesn't make sense and then just go, well, well, like I just don't understand it like it's so interesting like the Bible is so interesting like figure out the history figure out like the context like look into why is is God uh seeking to kill Moses because his son is uncircumcised like that's weird look into it it's so interesting and when you look into these things that you have questions about you'll have revelation and they're like little hidden treats and that's what we want for you guys so we just listed tons of different things that you can look into. It was a large section of scripture uh, that I hope you would uh, dig into yourselves and have conversations with your friends. The Bible is more than just something to cross off the checklist and just read once and say, I did it. Uh, it's we, we do this so you can perceive in your heart and it changes something in you, not just to have a, a wealth of just uh, knowledge that doesn't do anything. Uh, but Again, we, we appreciate you guys joining us for another week. This is week four. Next week is week five. Imagine that. We're about to start getting into the, the temple, the construction of the temple and all that. So that'll be real riveting stuff. Well, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Oh, I guess, Go yeah, we haven't got all there of that. Yeah, we got all of that yeah. coming up. There's a lot of text yet to cover as we go through this. I know it's difficult um, maybe to read all of it and to go through it, and there's a lot of, but when you're reading through it, I, I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, and it's really nice, Bibles aren't meant to keep neat. They're meant to be like journals and notebooks. Yeah. So underline 
underline the things you don't understand, underline the questions you have. If you get a revelation while you're writing it or reading it, write down the revelation in your margins of your Bible. And you say, well, I don't want to ruin my, you'll just get a new Bible next year. But they become journals to you. They become uh, like places where you can write down what God's telling you. And then what's interesting is I still have my Bible, a Bible that my grandfather preached from. Mm. And it's in my office at home, and uh, all of his notes, he's had many Bibles, but it was a Bible where he had journaled things in, and he wrote down things that God had told him. Mm. And and then when he was buried, I asked my grandmother, I said, can I have his Bible? And she reached into the coffin and pulled it out and gave it to me before it was buried with him. And that was the greatest um, inheritance that I got from my grandparents was my grandfather's preaching Bible with all of his notes in it. And so I've tried to do that with my Bibles. I keep them. Hopefully one day my kids will uh, look at, they'll care enough to look at them and to see what I thought about that text or what God was telling me. So I encourage parents, if you're doing that, to to use your Bible and to just keep them as journals. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's a good idea. Chalk up that Bible. Uh, that, that Bible should not be looking new, uh, come December 31st. You should have just went to war, uh, in this thing, but we love you guys. If you have questions, someone had asked me, uh, uh, in person, they had told me is, you know, I'm not able to make it live. Um, is it okay if I email you questions? Yeah. Shoot me an email. If there's something in your, in your reading that you have questions about that you're not able to be here and we'll answer it for you guys. So those of you that are, are going, there's a lot of you that listen back later. So you're listening to this right now. If you're listening to this, you can just shoot me an email at pastor Alex at Bethel's pastor Alex at Bethel's And then we'll bring up those questions that you uh, email to us, but we love you guys and we will see you for next week. Uh, week five. God bless y'all.